Hello, I'm Diana Edwards. This is Our Stories, Conversations on Conscious Living and Dying. All of these stories are courageous journeys of self-awareness and healing, often told by guests who have never been interviewed before. While each story is unique to the individual, these beautiful stories remind us that the human experience is a collective experience. And so, the wisdom you will hear and feel can speak to us all. Welcome to Our Stories. Today on Our Stories, I have my good friend, Francesca, who has come to share what I call the mystical to the practical. And I call it that because, Francesca, you are not a person who delves a lot into sort of unexplained phenomena. And yet, when it happened... You were open to it. You didn't shut it down. And it actually changed the way you were able to be with your father when he died. So I really appreciate you coming to share this story with our audience today. So welcome to our stories. Thank you, Diana. And this has become a fun story to share. I'm glad you think that way because it is a fun story. And I think when people think, how can anything around death be fun? We need to start with changing the way we judge our stories. So I'll start us off explaining that a couple of years ago, you had a very interesting experience happened just as you were going to bed. This was June of 2016? Correct. June of 2016. Can you tell us what happened that night? Well, I had just fallen asleep, and I always call this like the veil hour when you really have just gone to bed, but you know you're not really asleep yet. And so... I was in that state and I looked up and there was a man standing right next to my bed, literally right next to my bed. And of course, it scared me to death. I jumped up, turned the light on and and there was no one there. That would scare me to death, too. I, I mean, seriously, my heart would just jump. So that happens. There's no one there that you see once the light comes on. But you said you really saw him. What did he look like? Well, it was crystal clear. I mean, he had on like a jacket. He was wearing like a like a polo shirt and some old jeans. He had I, I put him in his late sixties, you know, maybe right around seventy. Still had a thick head of hair and you know, kind of big ears and like an alcoholic's little bit of a bulbous nose. You know, you could tell he'd been a drinker or something. And he just felt like a working man to me. And, and a lot of character. A lot of character, but and he just was standing there, right? But it was. It was very scary to me because I couldn't I, I couldn't figure out what was happening. And then when the light went on, there was no one there. And so I thought, well, that's just weird. It, it is kind of weird. <laughs> exactly. Think. So a month, let's see, I guess two months go by. Yeah. And it happens again. Now, now we're August, correct. And I, same period, I've just gone to bed. I can, I'm in the veil and I feel, I wake up and there's that man and he is standing next to my bed again. But this time it terrified me. Because I, I knew it was the same man again, and I leapt out of the bed, but all the way across my bed, where there's a step which I fell over, and I bruised my shin and my knee, and then I, I stand up on the landing, and I turn on the light, and my, my golden retriever is just looking at me like, what's up? There's nothing going on in this house. And I'm like, oh, my God, and my heart is racing, and it was the same man. And I it, that, it just really, really frightened me, and I thought something is going on here now, and I kind of should pay attention to it. So what's interesting is the next morning after the fall, you actually had an appointment to go get a pedicure 
and in you go with your bruised ankles, and the woman notices that right away. What happened from there? Well, she asked me, she goes, what happened to your leg? And I said, well, I said, you need to be careful. It is bruised. I said, "Um, I'll tell you the truth. There was a ghost that was beside my bed last night, and it was the second time I had seen it, and I had jumped out of the bed out of in, in total terror, and I've hurt myself. And she just stopped immediately what she was doing and looked at me and just said, I know who you need. You need a Ghostbuster. And I said, I'm happy to have a Ghostbuster. Please, you know, give me the name. So what is a Ghostbuster exactly? Well, as someone that sees these spirits and sees them in your house very easily and they know how to clear them, they ask them what they're doing there and they can get them to go away, something along those lines. And I phoned this woman and she did a clearing remotely and she said, you know, she thought someone had been trapped or something. And I forget what she said, but it was not resonating intuitively with me. So I kind of said, okay, you know, I'm trying everything because I know I need to address this now since I've seen it twice, this ghost. So anyway, I, she, she did her clearing and the next day I woke up and I realized I really needed, you know, I needed some more information and I thought I was going to share the story with my friend Diana, which is why I'm here now, Does <laughs> she knows the story. Well, being the Diana you're talking about. That's right. You called me. I was actually on the way to Arizona. My husband and I were driving down there and you called. And I remember you were distraught sounding. And that's not your nature (laughs) to be that way. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And you shared with me about the man, if I remember. This is my version. Let me know if I left something out. Uh, The man being there. And you told me the two incidences. And they were, you know, two months apart, which was kind of intriguing. And I did what I normally do in these situations. I asked you a bunch of questions like, you know, is your father dying? And you were like, no, I don't think so. And I said, is your husband's father dying? And you were like, no, he's doing well too. And I asked that because often someone can, before they die, come and says goodbye to people. You hear that a lot and you can read about that in a lot of wonderful stories that, you know, a loved one wants you to know they're leaving and they come by. But you were clear that it wasn't your father and it wasn't your husband's father. So I told you when I got back to where I was driving to, if you could give me a few days, I would go into meditation and I would see if I could find out who it was. Because I can do that on occasion and you're a good friend. So I knew your energy. So really what I do is I go into meditation, you know, with your energy in mind and just asked, who is this and, and what do you want? And I remember I guess it was the third day after we had spoken about that, and I called you back and I said, who's Francis? He came to help your father die, to transition. And that's all I got from him. He, he was a rather succinct energy as I experienced them. I didn't see him like you did. And you took it from there because unbeknownst to me, you're named after this man. So could you tell us a little bit about him? Francis was my father's favorite and beloved uncle. And my father's name for Francis, Richard Francis, and I'm named for Francis, for Francesca, which is my father's middle name. And I just thought that was fascinating that when um, all this was happening, that it made total sense that that is who it was, that this was Uncle Frank. And I didn't know what he wanted, but, you know, you, of course, had that sense that he was here to help and help my father transition. And we were all so surprised because my father wasn't ill. And that's the interesting part, I feel as we move towards the practical part of the mystical story here, is you said, but my dad's doing well. You know, he was living on his own and he had some aspiration issues where 
He, uh, I guess you said his esophageal flap wouldn't stay closed, if I understand this correctly. And so food and liquids could, including mucus, could go into his lungs, which is a very dangerous thing because it can create pneumonia and other situations that are quite life-threatening. So we were talking and you said, no, I don't think he's dying. I don't think he's close. But then was it you flew out to see him and in fact found out he was much more frail than you first realized? I th- I'd seen him. Yes, I knew he was frail, but he collapsed in November is what happened. Remember, so this Uncle Frank, this second visitation was August. And so now we're at November and, you know, my father's birthday is also in November. But my father collapsed right before his birthday when I was planning to go out anyway. And it was from malnutrition and he was just very weak from not being able to eat and swallow properly. And he was at the hospital in Houston and I, you know, I went in there and he was you know very frail and He's 86 years old. And I was like, Dad, my God, what's going on? And he's like, you know, I just, you know, collapsed. And we had this deep talk. And I said, well, this is a strange thing, you know, because I had this visitation from this ghost that that came to me twice. And it was actually Uncle Frank. And he was um, he wanted me to tell you that, you know, he's going to cross you over whenever it is your your time to die. And my father burst into tears. And it was just this incredible moment of he knew I was telling the truth that I'd seen Frank. And it just, it started this whole journey of, you know, what, what's going to happen next that, you know, maybe, you know, you are on your way to dying. It may not be now, but, you know, we need to start getting affairs in order. And you need to know that you're not going to be alone on this crossing that you need to look for this for your uncle and he's going to take you. And, you know, that love you all had for each other as a child is still there today. And he's ready for you to bring you to the other side. Now, you know what strikes me so beautifully about that part of the story is that your Uncle Frank came because he knew, I feel, he knew he could get through to you on some level, that you were either open enough or you would find the resources. I find the spirits, the energies seem to know who they can contact easier than others. And he got through to you. And I was thinking about how If he hadn't, your father in that collapse might have died then in that first November of 2016. But because everybody was just a little bit more alert and aware that he was more fragile, you were able to get him into the hospital. He was given a feeding tube, which you said you thought at the time everyone was sort of hoping this was a temporary feeding tube to build his strength. And unfortunately, it became a permanent feeding tube. And he had to then be moved into skilled nursing because they need to change it, clean it, and so forth. So he's now in skilled nursing. Is that when you realize that he didn't have any of the practical, as I call it, this part of our conversation, the practical paperwork in place from wills to living wills to did he want to do not resuscitate order, all of those things, a healthcare power of attorney? Was that when you realized those pieces were missing? No, it's when I was in the hospital with him in November, okay. and we'd had the, talk, the story of, of Uncle Frank, and I said, listen, I need to know, I mean, what do you want to do when you die? I mean, what do you want? Do you want to be buried? And, you know, do you want to be cremated? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, well, where's your will? I mean, you know, I, I guess we should know where these things are. He's like, I don't have one. I'm like, wow. you know, this man was an attorney his whole life, and I was just in shock. Like, oh, you have got to be kidding me. You don't have, you know, is there a power of attorney? Is there a living will? I mean, what do you have? He goes, I have nothing. So it began the journey very quickly there because we really didn't know in November that he was going to make it out from then, right? Because he was, you know, he was pretty far down. 
So it began, the process began then immediately of creating the, you know, the DNRs and his will and getting all of his affairs in order. And that's critical because he was still of sound mind. And it can be very difficult when you find out, you know, a parent is no longer of sound mind and they can't write these documents and the journey that can take you on. But just the fact that he could get all of those in place with you and you had these great conversations about what do you want me to do? Do you want, do you want me to cremate you? Do you want me to, you know, have you buried here or that, you know, and all the stories and questions that come up. So you get all that resolved. Well, about what time are we dealing with now? He's in skilled nursing. Everything is kind of well-organized. And and we actually had it all organized by the time he left the hospital. As I said, my father was an attorney. And so we brought people from his office immediately to create the will and the, the DNRs and everything. Because as I said, we didn't know at that visit how long that he could have died at that visit. And we did not want his life extended. And he did not want that either. But at that point, you know, had he not, at that point, had he died, uh, he would have been, it would have been a much worse situation for him because it wouldn't have been the peaceful thing it, it became at the end when he did die. Oh, I can't wait till we get to that part because that is so beautiful. But before we do, there was a point where you said he was kind of getting stronger. He was working out. He, had, he still had to have a walker, but he was kind of on a little bit of an upswing. And then things started to turn down and you very smartly installed cameras somewhere in his room, because you're in another state. And, you know, you're, this is an opportunity for you to check on him and you talk to him a great deal. Can you share with us how that experience actually was very helpful when he was having trouble breathing? Right, well, because he was in a skilled nursing level, which, you know, in theory should be nurses on the call. And he had a, you know, emergency button. He had everything known to man. And, and their desk was 20 feet outside the hall from his room. But it, he started not feeling well, I would say, in the following fall, you know, but he had, re, you know, gained his strength and, you know, had you know, bounced back from the November episode. But now, you know, we're into the next year and he was not feeling well again. He's saying, I just can't get them to come into the room. This is the strangest thing, but I'll call and call. And so I sent my son over with some cameras and, you know, the little video cameras and I could watch in there. And so it would be easier for my dad to call me. And then I would call the nurse station and say, can you please go in and check on my father? I'm concerned about him. He's lying in the bed and, you know, he doesn't seem right to me. And, you know, they would then say, oh, well, you know, we've been in there or whatever. And I'd say, well, no, you haven't because I'm watching on the camera that there's no one coming in to help him. And I know he's calling you with his buttons and things. So Anyway, we, you know, installing the cameras was our way of working around it. And then we would just call the nurse's station ourselves, and then they would go in immediately and take and care of him. That was really important because on one such occasion, you saw that something was yes, really at the not end, right. I would say about 10 days, maybe two weeks before he died. I could see that he was saying that he wasn't feeling himself, but he was, um, you know, he was still okay. I mean, they would check his temperature and check and Everything was fine, but one afternoon I was checking on the cameras. He just seemed like he was lying in a strange position in the bed, and it was causing me concern. And so I said, I think you need to go in there and check on my father. I called them, and then they realized he was running a really high fever. And so they then took him to the hospital for, you know, for his final round at the hospital before we brought him back to his area to, to pass away. So your father was taken to the hospital, and then you flew out? Yes, I flew out the next day, and you know they were they were discovering that he had pneumonia, which was not surprising due to his aspiration and swallowing issues. So I, I think you know he was in there so may, for maybe a week, 
But about the, you know, around the fifth day of this week, you know, they were all saying, you know, this is, um, this is probably the end. And he's really frail. I don't know if he's going to make it back for another round, you know, with my dad, you never know, you know, the Marine, he's going to fight to the bitter end. But anyway, about the fifth or sixth day, you know, they were getting ready to discharge him and the doctors came in and just said, well, you know, this is kind of what we're thinking. And so my dad looks up at me, he goes, well, I guess it's time for me to go see Uncle Frank. And I, we just burst into laughing like, well, I guess it is, Dad. I think it is that time. So my question to you is, where would you like to die? You know, would you like to go to my brother's house? You know, do you want to go to, you know, you know is there, a, you know, do you want to go to the actual Houston hospice? You know, beautiful rooms. We can set up a beautiful place for you there. He's, no, I want to be with my things. And even though it's a skilled nursing floor, I do want to go back and be with my things. And I, I'm going to be happy and comfortable to die there. So this was like on a Thursday and then Friday, immediately he said to me, I should say after this, after we had this talk, he goes, now bring me a Coca-Cola because this (laughs) poor man had put nothing in his mouth since, you know, November of the year before, except ice chips, because, you know, the once he had the feeding tube in, they did not want him taking anything by mouth at all. I love that. You asked him, though, right? Like, what do you want? No, he didn't. I didn't even ask. He oh, just said, now bring me a Coke. Oh, now bring like, me a Coke. it's time to say Uncle Frank. Now bring me a Coke. <laughs> so he knew he was he was committing to yes. crossing, to dying. Yes. And his last request was, could I have a Coke? Right. That was the beginning of the last request. But oh, okay. you know, he since ate ice cream and many other things once he got back to the to the skilled nursing. So. Oh, that's wonderful. I didn't right, know so that. So this was like a Thursday. And then Friday, we get him transitioned back to his room at the skilled nursing. And... You know, he um, had a fabulous weekend with every friend coming to say goodbye because everyone knew we were saying goodbye. And then I told him, I said, um, now don't go at night because I won't be here. We had uh, round the clock nursing for him there. So please, if you can wait to die, please do it, you know, during daylight hours when I'm here. And he'd be like, okay, okay, you know, as a laughing because we, you know, we have a very joking family. And so um, he's had all his goodbyes, and we left on Sunday night. I came back Monday morning, and he was definitely in his transition. So we were there, and it was probably around 11 o'clock, and I had another friend came to, come to visit and say goodbye to my father, who loved him very much. And that friend left to go pick up some lunch, and within a few minutes of him leaving, the nurse called me and said, you know, he's transitioning. You know, he's, he's, he's dying right now. And I go over to his bed, and I just cheered him on. I said, now look for Uncle Frank. And I cheered him on. I placed my hand on his heart. And it was just beautiful. He stopped breathing. And then very gently, his heart just stopped beating. And we had the perfect ending, just the two of us, you know, for him to, you know, fly out of this world and go on to the next journey. And the peace of mind of knowing Uncle Frank had put a lot of effort into making sure your dad knew he was there and he was going to be there. That was amazing. It Isn't really it? was. We got so much comfort from that through this whole process, you know, of knowing that that, that Uncle Frank was going to cross him over and also that all his affairs were in order. It was just a beautiful end. And, you know, we didn't have to worry about anything. Thank goodness that you responded the way you did, you know, because as I said a little bit earlier, you could have just said, I, you know, I don't know what that thing I saw in my room, <laughs> you know, end of story, slept with your light on for the next few months until, you know, whatever happened, happened. But you didn't. You committed to this unknown experience and you pursued it because, like you said, you're very intuitive and you knew there was some message in this. And because you followed that, Francesca, look what unfolded. I, I want to point out to people because I'm going to move a little bit to the practical here at the very end. If you hadn't have gone there knowing he was crossing because of this experience with Uncle Frank showing up, 
you wouldn't have found out that he didn't have his papers in order. And so that death that you described, where you have your hand on his heart as he takes his very last breath and he's at peace and he's had a weekend of joy and goodbyes and Coke and a little bit of ice cream and all the things he wanted to have. And you have your hand there while he takes his very last breath would not have happened if he hadn't had his do not resuscitate order, if he didn't have all the paperwork in order so that these decisions could be made for him and with him. He would have been resuscitated. He would have been put on a ventilator. And that's a really powerful point I want to make to people, how important it is to get those affairs at any age. I mean, I know we all like to think we're not going to die till we're a lot older. I, I know that's the ideal But death happens all the time and at any age. And I really want to encourage people to know they can fill those documents out now. You can change them. You can change them anytime you want. But how important it is. And on that note, I want to bring to the fact that you are my healthcare power of attorney and how honored I am. And it's going to make me want to cry for a minute that you're so comfortable with death because, you know, when it's my turn to die, I want someone like you putting their hand on my chest. No, I do. I do. And I didn't mean to get kind of uh, choked up right now, but I know what I'm asking of you. You know, my husband will certainly be the person, but if he's deceased or if he's infirmed with me, that responsibility falls to you. And you and I have had lots of discussions. I've given you lots of papers where I've typed up, please call these people. I've made it clear that you're, you know, compensated for travel expenses because I love to travel and you might be flying halfway across the country or the world to come take care of me. And you and I have really tried to talk through all the implications and things that need to be considered. And I want other people to know it sounds sad. And yes, I'm a little choked up, but I'm choked up because I am so at peace that I can trust you and that you're there for me and that you really won't be afraid to follow my wishes. And I just, it's nice to be able to thank you in person here in front of all these people because I want other people to find a friend like you or a family member who can do it for them. So that's my pro fill out your document speech, but it's also my heart filled with gratitude for not only bringing your story here today, because that's a powerful story and it happens to people. Things like this happen and we don't have the answers. I don't know why. But it did, and it took you on a beautiful journey with your father. And I'm so honored to be there for you, if I have to be at the end. Again, I find it an honor to be there for people in that capacity. I agree. I agree. And I think the more people that can see the beauty in it and how it frees your soul. I mean, you're seeing that death with your father and knowing, and in your mind, you know the contrast of what it could have been if things hadn't been in place. And yet they turned out beautifully because you were willing to walk through some new doors that you hadn't experienced before. I remember I always like to tell you, and I've also told Uncle Frank, I don't need to see you again, because it was very scary. (laughs) We're good. Yeah, exactly. I don't need any more of that. (laughs) Thank you for coming to help my father. Exactly. And we're lovely, but yeah, don't come to my bed anymore in the middle of the night, because I don't need it again. So, you know. That's a perfect place to end our story. Thank you, Francesca, for being here today. It really meant a lot to me. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it. 